Hi, everybody. Welcome to this edition of Because It Is. Most of you know that I am a pastor and preacher, and every week I spend more time crafting a sermon than I do most anything else. Uh, it matters to me. It is important to me. And yet, whatever document comes off the printer uh, every Friday is not yet a sermon. It has the potential to be a sermon, but it is not a sermon until it is heard. It's not a sermon until it's received. It's not a sermon until it's acted upon. And so we thought it fitting to ponder what good listening looks like in the moment of a sermon. Uh, I realize that this conversation might matter more to people in the pulpit than people in the pews. However, every week, the faithful spend a good 30 minutes in worship listening. And so how do we make the most of that? How do we listen in such a way that matters? How do we listen in such a way that everyone in the room is transformed into the image of Christ? Uh, that's our conversation today, and that is our hope for both preacher and listener alike any given Sunday, whether that's at Second Baptist Church or some other location. I'm inviting my mentor, teacher, hero, friend, colleague, Dr. Hewlett Glower, to join me in this podcast. He's one of the best preachers I know, and he has a lifetime of evidence to back up that claim. Uh, he also taught homiletics and preaching for many, many years, a good two decades, at Truett Seminary at Baylor University. So I'm delighted for you to hear Dr. Glower once more and for us to think together about what faithful preaching and also what faithful listening look like. Welcome to Because It Is. Welcome to Because It Is, a place for conversations about faith, justice, and other things that matter. Dr. Glower, welcome to Because It Is. We know that you're no stranger to this podcast or to Second Baptist Church, and uh, it's, it's going to be good to hear your voice today. And first of all, tell us how you're doing in Kansas City these days. Thank you, Preston. It's great to be here again, and it's great to be with you. Uh, we're doing good in Kansas City. Got a beautiful day. Uh, things are going well for us here. We're pleased to be here particularly pleased to be near our granddaughter mm -hmm. and parents. Uh, we get to see them probably twice a week, and that's just uh, the best medicine for anything. Absolutely. And we get uh, to fulfill the preacher's fantasy today and talk about what uh, a listener should be doing during a sermon. Th this is the podcast that every preacher wishes they could do, right? <laughs> I think so. So so you and I have talked a great deal about preaching uh, for many, many years. Preaching fascinates both of us. We find the wonder and the awe in it, the joy in it. Um, but preaching is not a one-person show. Uh, that's something that I've learned from you, but I've also experienced it just in my own ministry. Uh, a sermon is not meant to be a monologue. 
it is a dialogue and it is a communal event. Could you say more about the role of the listener in the moment of the sermon? There is no preaching without a listener. Hmm. A sermon is not a sermon until it, it here is heard, until it strikes someone's ears. So the listener of a sermon has to be an active participant, not just a passive observer. Now that runs kind of countercultural to our, uh, our day in which we live because um, so much of what we see and hear, we see and hear uh, passively. As long as your TV cable is connected and your internet's connected, your phone's connected, we can watch movies, TV, sports, news, even church as passive observers. And that bleeds over into our ideas of preaching and the sermon, where preaching becomes uh, entertainment. And people look for the, uh, the best entertainment in a sermon. And, and cosmetics takes precedence over content in a sermon. It's all part of the culture in which we live. But just as worship is not a form of entertainment, so preaching is not a form of entertainment. Worship requires participation, and preaching requires participation. As you said, um, preaching is always dialogical. There are always at least two people involved, a preacher and a hearer, a preacher and a listener. But more than that, preaching is communal in nature. Uh, the preacher preaches to a community of people. And those people are participating even before they know it. They're participating in the preacher's mind as a preacher preparing a sermon. The preacher's thinking about the people that are sitting in the pews, so they're already participating in the preaching act. So preaching is dialogical. If the listener is not participating, the words of the preacher fall on deaf ears because there are no ears. But I want to take that a step further and suggest that preaching is trilogical. That is, there are three entities involved in the preaching event. There's the preacher, there's the hearer, and there's the spirit, the Holy Spirit. If the hearer is not participating, both God's word and the preacher's words fall on deaf ears. So that triangle of Preacher, hearer, and God. I would put God at the top of the triangle and the preacher and the hearer on the other corners. Uh, that's the preaching event. It's not the same without any one of those three being involved. Without the preacher, no preaching event. Without the hearers, no preaching event. And most of all, without God, no preaching event. So preaching is participatory. For the hearer. It's not passive. We're not just observers. Uh, it requires something else. And we'll talk about that maybe a little later. Yeah, so every week I work on a sermon, and it's not lost on me that that sermon probably matters more to me than anyone <laughs> else in the world, right? Because I'm, I'm the one that's been uh, breathing it, thinking it, praying it, um, preaching it. But it, it does demand something of the other people in the room. And to your point, 
that sermon moment, we're all captive in that moment. Everyone in the sanctuary is captive. So why don't we all decide to make the most of it? And what's never lost on me also is that whenever something is heard, the spirit has been active because communication is a mysterious thing to really hear someone soul to soul for deep to call to deep. That is something of a miracle and all sorts of roadblocks are overcome anytime one person speaks and another person really hears, uh, especially about things of ultimate importance, right? right. So I love that triological idea of a sermon that you mentioned. Uh, what are some roadblocks to good listening? What are the things that get in the way of uh, the things that get in the way between the pulpit and the pew? Well, I think um, I'd say, first of all, preoccupations. Uh, most people come to worship with some preoccupations in their mind. They're preoccupied with um, what they've been through trying to get the children ready and in the car and, and to the worship service. They're preoccupied with something that we have said yesterday and, and they're worried about how somebody took it. They're preoccupied about whether the lunch is going to burn in the oven. I mean, there are all sorts of things that where people come preoccupied with and those preoccupations don't just dissipate. They can come up at any time during the worship service and certainly during the time of the sermon. So I think preoccupations, it, those are some of the, the biggest hurdles we have to listening carefully. A second one, and just as important, are preconceptions. We all come with preconceptions, and those preconceptions determine what we hear and how we hear it. For example, uh, if the scripture for the day is the parable of the Good Samaritan. The hearers come with some preconceptions about what that parable means. Uh, first of all, they think they know the parable, so they don't really have to listen to it as the scripture is read. And then because we're so familiar with the story, uh, we have some pre preconceptions about its meaning. So, you know, the say, old saying, familiarity breeds contempt. It's not that in this case, it's familiarity breeds neglect. So preconceptions can derail our thinking. And if by chance the preacher has something that we don't, we don't agree with about that, that becomes already a big lifting further. They may have listened up to that point, but if you say something that violates their preconceptions, that is a pretty good stop to their listening. So preoccupations, preconceptions, and the parable of the soils, which I would call it in this case, because of what we're talking about, is a good entry here. You know, there's some seed, the seed's the word. So let's say the seed is the word of God being spoken through the words of the preacher. Some fell on a path, I think the people, the seeds on the path, they fell on the ears of the people who just aren't interested. They just couldn't care less about it. They're probably not going to show up on Sunday morning, but they may be there. They may be there. 
Um, so that's, you got some people they are just not interested in, they're not gonna listen. That which fell on the rocky ground, or some translations say gravel, you know, on the surface there's an enthusiastic reception, but as soon as the gospel becomes problematic or troublesome or uncomfortable, uh, their listening tends to, to abate. And Luke 4 is a good example of exactly how this happens. You know, Jesus came to the Nazareth synagogue. He, he read from Isaiah 61. He started talking about the implications of that. And uh, their first reaction was what? In Luke 4, that, how did they first react? Isn't this Joseph's son? Yeah. yeah, well, even before that, remember it says um, um, their ears were favorable to him. What good things he's saying. But as they began to understand in their minds what he meant, the Jubilee implications, and then later when he adds that this is also going to be true for Gentiles as well as Jews, well, they were listening to a certain point. But then they turned away from him because of their preconceptions. They even turned against him and even tried to kill him. Now, I preach some bad sermons, but I've not had that reaction yet. There's still time, however. So the rocky soil is that which initially embraces, but then at some point uh, turns away. And then the thorns, I think the thorns, you know, the text says the cares of the world, the desire for wealth, other desires. Maybe the rich ruler is a good example of this. He, he, he gets the answer to his question, but he just can't, can't make the jump. So he walks away with his head hanging, sad, sorrowful. So once again, this is kind of like preoccupations. We have preoccupations. We're so committed to them, whatever they may be, that we're just not willing to make the jump, to take the risk. The roadblocks are the kind of soil we bring to the worship service, the kind of soil we bring to the preaching event. And uh, if we're not careful, we can let our preoccupations and presuppositions take control. And it might have been a great sermon, but it fell on deaf ears as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, a sermon is 15, 20, 25 minutes. Um, sometimes I'm accused of going longer than that, but it's, it's not true. Those are false accusations. Um, that is the tip of the iceberg in terms of the work that the preacher puts into it. But what I hear you saying is also the hearing of a sermon is also the tip of the iceberg because the listener, the listener is creating meaning out of that sermon even as they're listening. Uh, they're bringing every time they've heard that sermon that, or that text preached. So they're bringing all of those old sermons to that hearing. They're bringing their old Sunday school teachers. 
They're bringing the news stories that they watched on loop 24-7 in cable news into that sanctuary. They're bringing their life experiences into that sanctuary. And so uh, those can work in favor of a good hearing, but they can also work uh, against a good hearing. And so just to be able to identify those preoccupations and preconceptions will we'll open up our ears to a good hearing of a good sermon. You bet. You bet. I mean, that's exactly the situation. And that's why people need to understand their role. They're not just there to absorb, not just there to, to listen on a surface level, but they're there to give attention. And uh, let's talk a minute later about attention and, and the role of attention in our, in our hearing. You know, I go home at night, I'm tired, I've had a meeting late at night, it's eight o'clock, I sit in my chair, and I turn on the television, and as you said earlier, I'm in a posture of total uh, passivity, and I look at that screen and I say, entertain me, you know, I don't want to think, I don't want to do anything other than punch a button on this remote, just entertain me. I think that becomes a temptation when we're in the sanctuary. It becomes even a graver temptation when that's how many people are engaging worship today on that same device, on a television or a screen because of the pandemic. Um, the, The lure of entertainment and the way entertainment has shaped our culture, uh, shaped our minds in implicit ways is so very concerning to me. And I think oftentimes we do bring that into the sanctuary, don't we? No question about it. No question about it. Uh, Passivity is is a preponderance of the way we respond to so many things. And we're programmed to it even more by television, by screens, by computer screens, by the internet. Um, so, you know, why should we change when we come to church? Well, it's because we forget that I have a role to play if the sermon is going to have the effect that God wants it to have. And uh, the kind of soil I bring to the sanctuary or, or even in front of the screen when we're worshiping on Zoom, uh, my role to play is to quiet those other voices as much as I can so that I can be open to hearing words that are coming to me. Um, Language is the most creative element there is. And uh, the words that are coming to me, they're aimed at creating some new perspective, some new uh, idea, some new understanding, but if I'm not listening, none of that can happen. And uh, so worship and preaching require my participation. And that means having ears to hear. Interestingly, Jesus didn't say have eyes to see, though that's important too, but he always said have, if, if you have ears to hear, then listen. Something about hearing that that can get inside of us the way things that we see can't. 
those words go through our, our eardrums, inside our body, to our brain, and to our heart. So hearing is, it's why Paul says faith comes by hearing, mm -hmm. not seeing something, but by hearing. Yeah. I have to be hearing. I have to be listening. And um, the great, <laughs> the great dread of the preacher, I think, is people not listening. Mm -hmm. Uh, some of that's uh, probably egocentric, <laughs> but more than that, I think for most preachers, it's because we believe that we have a word from beyond, mm -hmm. a word from God, mm -hmm. that needs to be heard, first by us as preachers, and once we've heard it, 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 it burns within us to be heard by others. Uh, absolutely. What... What can listeners expect out of a good sermon? What should a good listener be able to expect out of their preacher on any given Sunday? Well, I think a number of things. First of all, I think that they can expect a sermon to be biblical. I don't mean by that that it has 15 scripture quotes in it or 20 scripture quotes. It's not based on the number of biblical citations. It's based on the resonance with the depth of biblical truth. I've heard sermons that uh, there was a quote every other sentence from the scripture. And I've heard people say after that, that was such a biblical sermon. When actually most of those quotes were taken out of context, which already means it's not biblical, and it may have had nothing at all to do with what those quotes were all about. So I think uh, a listener can expect a biblical sermon, uh, one that fuses the two horizons, the horizon of scripture and the horizon of the contemporary world. And so it brings those two horizons together. Um, there are two homiletical heresies there are more than two, but with regard to this, I think there are at least two. Mm -hmm. uh, first is the sermon gets its attention completely to the world of the Bible. So I've heard sermons like a, an archaeological excavation. Uh, I learned a lot of facts about what was happening at the time historically the particular book was written. Uh, I got I leave with a lot of information but it never touched my life, my context at all. The other homiletical is that it, it's totally given to the world of today. Um, it's like a nice talk somebody might give the Rotary Club or, or some other organization like that. Uh, it's 10 principles on how to do this or 10 principles on how to beat that. And it's all kind of a psychologizing of life as we're experiencing it today. Now, there's a place for that within a sermon. But if that's all the sermon is, and it never touches the biblical context, uh, it's, not, it's not a biblical sermon. So I think the, the hearer can expect a thoughtful, which means carefully prepared, a thoughtful biblical sermon which fuses the biblical horizon with the contemporary context. 
So that's one thing. I think the second thing is that the sermon is accessible. It's in the language of the people. It's interesting to me that the New Testament was written in Koine Greek, the common Greek, not the high Greek, but the, the common everyday street language of the people. I think that should tell us something about our own preaching. Don't use a $50 word when a $5 word will do the trick. I think T.S. Eliot spoke of a profound simplicity. Our sermon should strive to be a profound simplicity for the hearer's sake. So I think they expect to hear a sermon they can, they can understand, they can find accessible to them. And this is true also of the images and the analogies and the illustrations one might use. They too have to be readily accessible. When I was teaching in a seminary even north of where I am now, uh, our pastor was enamored with the Puritan divines. He had a library in his basement with about 2,000 books related to the Puritans. Every illustration in his sermon came from the 1600s and 1700s. Not one of them was from the contemporary context. And what did that say? It said, well, this gospel is good for people in the 1600s or the 1700s, but it really has nothing to do with today. So our images, our analogies, our illustrations all have to be as accessible as our language is accessible. So I think accessibility is something that the hearer should be able to expect. And then the third thing I think is that it's applicable. It's not just something to store in my mind. It's not just something to put on the shelf. It, it calls me to some kind of application in my daily life in 21st century Little Rock or Kansas City or wherever I happen to be. So ap applicability, you know, every, every text, I'm convinced every text calls for decisions. It'd be different decisions for every text, but I believe every text calls for a decision from us. The preacher should be able to make clear to me what that decision needs to be and how that will change the way my life is being lived. So applicability is crucial. These are the kinds of things that matter to us at Second Baptist Downtown, a different kind of Baptist church, located in Little Rock, Arkansas. If you are enjoying this conversation and would like to know more, please visit us at 2bclr.com. That's the number 2, bclr.com. We hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. You can find us by searching Because It Is wherever you find your podcasts. You can also follow us on Facebook by searching 2BC a different kind of Baptist church. Now, back to the show. Then the fourth thing is creativity. 
not the same old words, not the same old stories, but language is fresh. Language that has a twist. It's not expected so that we get a new way of seeing something, a new way of understanding something. Uh, Jesus always, <laughs> always had a twist in his parables. And uh, part of that is because uh, if we just use the same old language and the same old illustrations and the same old stories, the people tune us out. But if we catch them with a twist, in our language, in our stories, uh, in our illustrations, whatever. Uh, they'll listen, they'll hear. So being creative, I think is, is crucial. And I'm not averse to what I call sanctified imagination. That is retelling a biblical story with using images and uh, illustrative material from the present day. It's kind of like anachronism. Mm -hmm. Story is old, but it has contemporary applications. So tell the story with contemporary language. The person who has taught me to do that more than any other is Frederick Beekner. Just read his books and watch how he weaves the past and the present together so creatively. So I think creativity, that doesn't mean you're making things up because anything we do with the biblical text must be true to the context historically. But, um, you know, we can say, for example, uh, take the woman with the issue of blood and we talk about her condition, how she was considered to be impure, unclean by the people of her town. So. If you're walking down the sidewalk and you see her coming, you cross the street to the other side so you don't rub against her. Or if you're in the grocery store and, and you're wheeling your cart around to a new aisle and you see her down that aisle, you wheel that cart out again and go to the next aisle. Now, all those things are a kind of fresh way of looking at it, but they're, they're absolutely true to the biblical context. So, Imagination and creativity are, are absolutely essential. And I think the hearer, the hearer would be pleased with that because it will give them a fresh understanding of what we're trying to communicate from the biblical text and the biblical story. The last thing I say is um, I think the hearer can expect compassion. If I'm not excited about the text, if I'm not passionate, why should my listeners need to be passionate? For me, I want a sermon not just to be heard, I want it to be caught. I want it to be caught uh, because God's word will always catch us if we're being attentive to it. So, there are some things that I think, I'm speaking as a hearer. I do more hearing now than preaching. Uh, but as a hearer, 
those are the things I'm looking for. And I have a feeling those are pretty common things for people. So it strikes me listening to you um, in thinking not just about the content of Jesus' sermons, but the manner of Jesus' sermons. Uh, you mentioned earlier the parable of the soils in Mark 4. After that parable, Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable, how will you understand any of the parables? It's a parable about parables. And Mark later says, uh, Jesus never taught when he didn't use a parable. And so all the things that you just said, um, parables often used imagery that was in the Hebrew Bible, you know, yeah. vineyards and tables and uh, those sorts of th brothers. You know, if you think about Jacob and Esau, they're accessible, they're applicable, they're creative, they're, they're passionate in that you have to participate in it. And yet a parable demands the listener engage, right? right. And yet the truth often comes with a surprising pivot at the end and it catches you unaware. You didn't see it coming. Um, all of the things that you're saying about what makes for a good sermon, what a listener can expect, Jesus embodied in preaching parables. Yes. Yes. He's our so, best teacher. Yes. He teaches us not just in what he says, but how he says it. Right. And there's so right. much wisdom in that for us. Right. The medium is the message. That's right. Yeah. So what should a preacher be able to expect from the listeners? We've talked about what the listeners should expect from the preacher. What should a preacher be able to expect from the listeners? Well, I think um, open ears. And by that, I mean attention. When the hearing is easy and when the hearing is tough, when there are difficult texts being dealt with, diff difficult issues being dealt with, when a prophetic word is necessary. I think the preacher can expect or should, ex should expect that the hearers have open ears. In other words, they're attentive. They're attentive. And that attention is something the preacher has to earn. You don't have it right now. It is something that's earned through faithful pastoring, week by week by week. I had a professor who said to me and said to our class, if you will stand with people in the hospital corridors, you will have the freedom of the pulpit. I think about that. If I know you're with me at 2 a.m. in the hospital, I'll listen to what you have to say on Sunday. If you come to my house, when I have just got word that um, one of my children had, had died in a far off state, I, I'll listen to what you have to say. I'll give you the freedom to say it. I mean, I agree with it, but I'll give you the freedom to say it. So attention, that's having open ears. Now, as far as this Sunday is concerned, attention has something to do with the introduction of the sermon. So it's my job as a preacher to, to get your attention. And um, so that's a weekly effort on my part in the writing of the sermon. 
but we gain the attention, we earn the attention, we earn a hearing by faithful pastoring day in, day out, day in, day out. The second thing I think preachers should be able to expect is an open mind. Um, a willing to listen when it's not easy to listen. A willing to be challenged. A willing to have my pre preconceptions adjusted as may be necessary. So an open mind, even when the hearing is difficult. That doesn't mean I have to agree necessarily with the preacher. But my mind is open to hearing the preacher out. And um, so I could say to him, I heard what you said today. I don't necessarily agree with it. But I heard it. And I'll think about it. That's what a preacher hopes the hearer will do. And once again, this open mind is earned through days, weeks, months, years of faithful pastoring. And then the third thing I'd say is an open heart. An open heart. A willingness to be challenged to the depth of my being. A willing to open the door, not only of my mind, but of my emotions, of my soul, to the message that's being proclaimed. All sermons, as I said a minute ago, should be a call to decision, because every text is a call to decision. So. Am I willing for it to move from my head down to my heart? So I have to have open ears. I have to have an open mind. And I have to be willing for it to move from my head down to my heart. And I guess the last thing I'd say, and it's not the last thing, but last thing I'd say is, I think the preacher hopes that on the part of his listeners, there is a desire to know God better and to do God's will more faithfully. To know God better and to do God's will more faithfully. Both the God who comforts and affirms and the God who calls and challenges. So, these are some things that I, I hope the listener comes prepared with. And I, once, I, I once heard someone say that good listeners hear their way into deeper conversation. In other words, a, a good listener, you know, if they're having coffee with their friend, they will listen to their friend in such a way that it, it calls the conversation deeper. And I, I want to be careful how I say this. I, I do think it is possible for people who are frustrated with the preaching they hear to hear the sermon 
into a deeper place. Uh, obviously, there's a limit to that because some of this does fall on the preacher, and I, on more occasions than one, have been the uh, the preacher flipping and flopping up at the pulpit, you know, trying to, to make my way. Uh, and that's a hard place to be. But it is possible for people of deep souls, big hearts, open minds to hear the sermon into a, a place of faithfulness and obedience and joy uh, and almost do the work of the sermon that the preacher couldn't do on that Sunday. And I can only say that because I'm fortunate enough to pastor, I have been fortunate enough to pastor really good churches that expected good preaching. They knew how to listen. And every Sunday heard the sermon in places deeper than I ever could have gotten it on my own. Obviously, the Spirit has something to do with that. But the capacity of the listener also has something to do with that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like the way you put it, uh, hearing to a deeper level. And that's what, I think that's part of what the open heart is, is listening to the soul, mm -hmm. to the depth of your soul. And um, I think that's a good way to put it. And certainly the spirit is all over this. Right. It's all over me as a preacher, I mean, the first thing I should do in preparing is pray. And every time I take a pen paper to prepare further, I should begin with prayer. Uh, the last thing I should do before I preach that sermon is pray in the pulpit um, for the Spirit's presence and action. Uh, the hearers should be prayerful in listening and uh, God will be present, God will work, God will be active, and um, if we've all done our part, wow. That's, that's the wonder of it, right? That's it's, right, exactly. It, it can happen. You know, when I go to the grocery store, when I get the grocery list right, it's a miracle. <laughs> and so when we talk about God, when we talk about life and death, when we talk about grace and love, and somebody gets it, whatever it is that they get, that is a miracle. Every time, that is a miracle. And it's bigger yes. than me, it's bigger than you, it's bigger than that person. It is a profound gift of God. Exactly, exactly. And what a wonderful surprise that always is. Right. That leads into the next question. Why, why is preaching an act of worship? You know, contrary to other forms of public speaking, preaching happens in the context of a worship service. So what makes preaching an act of worship? Well, we might begin by thinking about the fact that um, throughout the history of, of Judaism and Christianity, Preaching has always been an important element of worship. Uh, in the temple, the, the priests were supposed to, um, to teach and preach about the law. When they failed to do that, God raised up prophets, and prophets came preaching. Uh, the first character we meet in the New Testament uh, in 
Mark's account at least, is John the Baptist, and John the Baptist came preaching. And Mark says Jesus came preaching. And uh, so preaching has been a, an important element in worship for Israel, for Judaism, for Christianity. It's always been there. And there's a reason for that. Because the preaching event is a time when preacher and congregation are enabled to hear and see what God has done and what God is doing in the world. It's a human proclamation of God's work. And in that proclamation, God is revealed. All of worship is aimed at bringing us near to God and bringing God near to us, opening the door between heaven and earth, so to speak, uh, thinning the veil. And um, so the preaching event is a time when the words, our words by the power of the Holy Spirit become God's word. When God's revelation of himself the Israel becomes God's revelation of itself to us. When God's revelation of God's self in first century Palestine in Jesus becomes God's revelation of God's self in 21st century Arkansas or Missouri or Kansas. So in the preaching event, there is the opportunity for divine encounter. And this makes it a vital element, not the only element, but a vital element of our encounter with God. I guess my last question today, Hewlett, um, I just read a book uh, called Orality and Literacy. It was a mm -hmm. book about oral cultures, uh, aka most ancient cultures, where a word was a spoken experience and literacy, literate cultures, where when in our culture, when we think of a word, we see it. Right. Um, and how, um, you know, there's distance between a reader and an author. That author might even be dead who wrote that book. Uh, and, I'm, and so there's no real relationship there. But the spoken word, to hear a word in a moment, it it's a moment in time. It's an experience, the spoken word. It's a humanizing event between speaker and listener. You can see the fire and hear the fire of the voice. Um, there are very few places in our society where that is still the case. I hear people saying that the day of the sermon is over, that sermons really have no place in, in the future of the church or the future of anything. Why do you think the sermon is still important? Well, I think, um, you know, you brought up one of the crucial aspects of why a sermon is important. It is a word and words from one person to other persons. And the words spoken, that we just said, can get down deep into our soul like no other medium is able to do. 
I can stay at a distance from something I see, from something I read, uh, but when I hear something, uh, it can it can just work its way down deep into who I am. We don't have ear lids. Right? We don't have ear lids. That's right. Exactly. And no, no, I can't even think of the word. No, no blinders on the ears. Um, so we have the opportunity for an encounter that we can have no other way. And the power of that encounter is bound up in the way the words are said and the way we hear the words. So words have the opportunity to transform us. They can do a lot of other things too. They can repel us. They can put us off. Um, but they do have the potential of transforming a relationship. Um, I never get tired of hearing my wife say, I love you. I mean, how many times has she said it over these almost 50 years we've been married? <laughs> a gazillion, at least, but I never get tired of hearing her say that. I, she can write it, and I like that too. But hearing her say that is just altogether different. So the sermon, the preaching moment, and the, the preaching matters because in the context of worship, by the power of the Spirit, human words can become God's word to us. And they then have the power of transformation. We need to hear, you know, Brueggemann says that um, the prophet's role is to shatter our subtle reality and evoke new possibilities. Well, that's the preacher's role. That's the sermon's role. Uh, and I can read that sermon. You know, we could just type up our sermons and print them off and hand them out. Say, see you next Sunday. But when I hear those words, because it can make its way down deep into my soul, um, it may shatter some of my subtle realities. But it also may evoke new possibilities. And I think those two things in a way, summarize what a preacher is trying to do. Shatter our subtle realities about God, about the world, about other people, and evoke new possibilities that we had not imagined. The kingdom of God is something unimaginable. The orange can create for us a glimpse of that kingdom a vision of that king. And uh, in a way that I think something printed can't do. So the sermon matters. It is, you know, pr precisely because it's a possibility of divine encounter that it matters. It, it 
by use of language, we can open our eyes to a vision of reality beyond our imagining. And this poem I found a long time ago, it's very brief, but it kind of sums this up for me. She colored a giraffe today, one ear pink, the other green, a tail of blue, the body brown, with spots of many colors. She brought her joyful offering into the world of grown-ups. And the first one to see it said, but no one has ever seen a giraffe like that. Isn't that too bad, was all she said. Isn't that too bad? Well, preachers are called to paint a picture of reality with a capital R, of the ultimate reality, and help us know how we can take our place in that ultimate reality even if we've never seen one like it before. And words can help us break into that ultimate reality. The preaching proclaims a relentless hope and a fierce faith that will not be yield to the constraints of the possible. And we need to be called and challenged beyond the possible. And I think preaching also calls, calls us to close the gap between our comfort level and our commitments. And we all need to have that gap closed. So the sermon event, the preaching event, takes a preacher and a hearer and the oversight of the Holy Spirit. And when those things come together, miracles happen. You have been a faithful preacher and teacher of preaching your entire ministry, and the world is better for it. Second Baptist Church is better for it. I'm better for it, and I'm most grateful for this conversation today. Um, if, if in this conversation it has seemed like that we preachers are centering ourselves, that is not the hope at all. But what we do believe is that our God creates things with words, that words don't just describe reality, words have creative potency about them, that our, our reality was born of words, in the beginning was the word. I know that talk can be cheap, it can also be beautiful, and holy, and sacred, and so uh, if you're a preacher today, we invite you to uh, think on these things as you engage that holy task, and we pray for you as you do so. If you're a listener today, we pray for you as you week to week engage the holy work of listening. And uh, we pray for deep souls, open hearts, open minds, and active listening. And together, God, uh, through, through our speaking and our listening, God might create the world as it can and should be. May it be so, and may it even be so this Sunday. Amen. Peace be with you. As you go, go and love God with all that you are, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do so as if it's the most important thing in all the world, because it is.